Rhythm and Light in Chicago, I'm Steve Ordauer, and welcome to Rhythm of Life. Today we hear part two of the fascinating interview host Bob Hercules conducted with the remarkably persistent and dedicated civil and human rights attorney Flint Taylor. Part one of this interview took a close look at the murder of Black Panther leader Fred Hampton and the 13-year legal battle that ensued to successfully change the public narrative of how Hampton died. If you have not heard this part of the interview, which is episode 9 of this podcast, please give it a listen first. This part of the conversation transitioned to another one of Taylor's landmark investigations that uncovered a systemic pattern of brutal torture in Chicago, which included the use of electric shock to elicit false confessions from suspects, led by the notorious police commander John Burge. Joining forces with community activists, torture survivors, other lawyers, and local reporters, Taylor and his colleagues at the People's Law Office brought a lawsuit against the offending Chicago police officers and the city of Chicago. As the struggle expanded beyond the torture scandal to the ultimately successful campaign to end the death penalty in Illinois and obtain reparations for many of the torture survivors, it set human rights precedents that have since been adopted across the United States. Both parts of this interview are explored in Taylor's groundbreaking book, The Torture Machine, published by Haymarket Books. Uh, I wanted to just uh, switch topics uh, and talk a a little bit about the main subject of your book, The Torture Machine, which is the uh, uh, story of John Burge and his midnight crew and the torture of many, many, many black uh, men uh, for over 20 years. Um, Let's start out, just briefly summarize what happened on February 9th, 1982, when two uniformed Chicago cops were shot to death in broad daylight. Just give us a sense of what happened and what was the aftermath. Well, um, the the um, shootings of the Fahey and O'Brien, the two two officers who were were uh, shot on February 9th, um, led to because the the perpetrators of, of the shooting um, d- escaped. Uh, led to uh, the largest manhunt in the history of the city of Chicago. These were two white cops, and uh, the perpetrators were African-American. It happened in the black community on the south side. Um, and so um, the the entire police force was, was mobilized uh, and given a carte blanche to do whatever was necessary to catch the the, the folks it was it was just there was an eyewitness and he said there were two there was uh, one one person who did the shooting and then there was another person who was driving right and for five days they, they there was a reign of terror uh, on the south and west sides of the city somebody referred to it as crystal knock yes. for the black community exactly that's what uh, jesse jackson right think, jesse jackson right w- w- referred to it as and uh they they found uh, they were kicking in doors and they were uh, beating people up. Uh, they were grabbing people who they thought might know something and take them down down to the station and and beating them and actually torturing them. And the person who was in charge of this this manhunt was a um, um, a, uh, a lieutenant uh, from the uh, area two detective division on the south side by the name of John Burge. And uh, he was um, at the at the focus of of all of this um, uh, 
violence, uh, raci- racially motivated violence, uh, and torture. Right. And so they, they initially uh, found a couple of, of, of uh, guys who they thought did it, and they brought them down and tortured them. Uh, but then uh, it turns out that uh, there was a, a lineup with the, the eyewitness, and he said they didn't do it. So uh, they continued their, 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 their reign of terror until they found the Wilson brothers, um, Andrew Wilson and Jackie Wilson. And um, Andrew was identified um, as the shooter, Mm-hmm. And um, Jackie was identified as the driver. Right. And um, the um, evidence started to come out uh, that they tortured uh, Jackie and Andrew uh, viciously with uh, electric shock, uh, with um, uh, suffocation with beatings and with Andrew's case, uh, while they were electric shocking him, he was uh, strapped across or handcuffs cuffed across a, a, a ribbed radiator, one of the old-fashioned steam radiators. Right. And so when he was being shock, shocked, his chest and, and legs were going up against this red-hot radiator mm. wow. and burning him. So, uh, of course, he confessed based uh, over hours of, of, of torture. And, and Jackie gave a statement as well. Uh, and what they, what they got out of Andrew was an admission that he was the shooter. And out of Jackie, they, 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 they put in his mouth uh, just enough uh, to, for him to be held accountable uh, in, 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 the, in the crime. Even uh, though he was... Most likely, yeah. just the driver, and he was. The it dr- came right. out later that he was sort of shocked himself at the murder. D- exactly right. That uh, thirty-six years later, we right. ended up doing Jackie's case. And, and Andrew had. Uh, there were pictures of Andrew, in which he looked. You know, obvi- the, clearly it was uh, torture on his face and his body. Yes, yes, there was burns on his chest, on his face, on his legs, um, and um, um, there was bruises on his head, and and uh, and in fact, um, the the lawyer who represented uh, Andrew initially, Dale Coventry, um, a public defender, had the presence of mind to not only take pictures of all of that obvious injury but he took pictures of his ears because mm. andrew said that they uh, this torture device which is of course the name of my book the torture machine has sure. a picture of of a of a replica of of, of this ma- machine uh was a generator in a black box uh that had um wires from the generator with clips on the on the um on the wires, and so you could clip the alligator clips uh, to the ears or to the fingers or you know the genitals or wherever, uh, and then you would uh, turn this generator. It had a hand crank, and you'd send electricity, and mm-hmm. and, and that's uh, what Andrew said happened to him. Uh, and he said among the places that they attached these clips was his ears. Oh. And so the pictures of his ears when blown up showed these little marks, which were consistent with the alligator clips. Oh, I see. So there was all all of this evidence that Andrew was brutally tortured. 
there was less physical evidence uh, on Jackie. Um, but they, th- this was all brought to court to, con- to suppress their, ev- their, their confessions. And, of course, the, no, no judge in Cook County was going to throw out their confessions, no matter whether they were, you know, hung upside down for a week or not. Right. Um, That's just the way it was yeah, done. Yeah. And, you yeah. got involved a few years later in 1987, is that right? Yeah, it was. And how it, did you get involved in this case? Well, Andrew uh, was convicted, uh, got the death penalty, mm-hmm. uh, and um, his criminal case went on appeal, and ultimately the Supreme Court reversed uh, based on all this obvious evidence of torture. The U.S. Supreme Court or the Illinois? It's Illinois Supreme okay. Court. Um, and about that time, of course, Andrew was sent back for a second trial, and he was convicted again, um, but but that t- the second time he didn't get the death penalty. He, right. he got two life sentences. Um, but um, Andrew, who was uh, had a first-grade education, um, had handwritten out a, a federal civil rights complaint, uh, same kind of complaint that in the sense of, of uh, you know, the ju- jurisdiction in uh, 1983 complaint that, that we did in the Hampton case. He filed it on his own because no lawyer was going to really represent him. No, uh, no lawyer would represent him because he was not yeah, in a way an attractive No, he was about the, he, about the least attractive client from right. a lawyer's point of view that you could have, a, you know, a, a black cop killer. Um, and um, the judge appointed uh, a series of lawyers, none of whom uh, wanted to do the case. So ultimately, Andrew reached out to us uh, because he knew our reputation from the Hampton case. Right. And so um, we decided, we meaning the People's Law Office uh, and, and myself, um, decided we would represent him because uh, the obvious principle that nobody should be tortured no matter you know what they're accused of or or, or what they're even convicted of and right. so we ended up his as his lawyers and we had a judge in that case not unlike the judge in the Hampton case who was uh, extremely extremely pr- uh, pro uh, the police and 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 against us and our and and our client Andrew Wilson, and as were many judges. It sounds like to oh, me. Oh, definitely, definitely. Oh, it's a litany of judges like that in your book. Uh, yeah, that's there, one of the most. Are. For a naive reader such as myself, I was shocked to see the uh, number of judges who were so biased in favor of the police. And and you know you mentioned the the name of your book is the torture machine, and uh, I've often thought that the the word the the title of the book has actually several meanings. One is the actual torture box that you talked about, the crank device, but also it in a way refers to the democratic machine and the whole system of uh, cronies along the way that that uh, allowed this to happen. I wonder if you could talk about that because that's such an amazing revelation from your book. Yes, uh, it was very self-conscious to call it the torture machine for just the same reasons that you just mentioned. Right. Um, And uh, as you looked, as this case unfolded with Andrew Wilson, um, thanks uh, in large part to um, the... uh, the revelations to us 
of uh, anonymously uh, from someone who worked with the John Burge, who was the main torturer of Andrew Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, revealed that it wasn't just a one-off with Andrew and Jackie, but that this was a whole systemic um, systemic program led by this Lieutenant John Burge um, in, in on the south side of Chicago. This is a letter from a, a policeman yes. uh, who worked there and sent to you anonymously several letters. Yes. And yes. how did that affect your cases? Well, uh, it initially, uh, because of the, uh, it, we were actually on trial in Andrew's um, civil case that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, uh, as, as hard as we fought um, to to bring to light, you know, these other cases of, of torture that the uh, anonymous uh, source uh, who... Uh, we dubbed as uh, Deep Badge. <laughs> yeah, right, like Watergate. <laughs> right. right. Um, the judge wouldn't let us uh, develop or introduce any of that evidence at trial, but it gave us a springboard uh, into uh, other cases right. of, of, of torture that uh, we were con- we, uh, followed um, like a little br- brick, the yellow, yellow brick, brick road. road. <laughs> From one case to another. It's kind of a bleak yellow brick road. (laughs) Uh, As I understand it, I mean, you didn't know the extent of this at first until you started getting these letters and started piecing things together, and then there were hundreds that you discovered. Exactly. Which is horrifying. What what this what this uh, these letters kind of laid out was hey it's not just Burge and it's not just uh, this one um, uh, horrific case of torture, but that this is a total um, a racist uh, program that the the prosecutors are involved in that Rich Richie Daly who was the chief prosecutor at the time right. knew about uh, that uh, the highest levels of the police department knew about it. Uh, and that it was, uh, here's some names of some other people you should investigate uh, who were also tortured. And so that uh, gave us the template uh, for um, the the next 30 years of our work um, in terms of uh, exposing um, the, the depth and breadth of of the police torture scandal here in in the city of Chicago, and and as you say, uh, it couldn't have happened uh, without not only uh, the police and its code of silence uh, countenancing it and, and encouraging it all the way up to the superintendents of police, but that the prosecutors, from the ones who were in the you know in the station houses while the torture was happening, to the prosecutors who put on these tortured confessions as as the bulwark of their cases against these African-American torture uh, victims uh, to uh, the leaders um, of the state's attorney's office, uh, Richie Daly and company, to the judges, many of whom were former state's attorneys. Mm. So that uh, was the chain. And, 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 of course, when Daly became mayor, then, of course, it was also the you know city hall that that um, as he switched hats from the prosecutor who who countenanced and encouraged and covered up uh, the scandal he then became the mayor uh, and uh, was was uh, in the same position uh, for the next uh, 
15 or 20 years um, after he left the state's attorney's office and became the mayor. So he was suppressing all this evidence and all this, these stories of men who had been tortured horrendously because it would imp- implicate himself in an earlier role before he became mayor. Yes, and, and he, um, the, the, the Wilson case, um, did, did all this evidence of, of torture by Burge uh, on Andrew, particularly and Jackie as well, was brought to him by the, the superintendent of police at that time, Richie, uh, Richard Brzezak. Right. And Brzezak said, I'm not going to do anything about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you're the prosecutor. You do what you're going to do. Uh, so he yeah. sent it up to Daly yeah. so he could wash his hands of it. Yeah. Even yeah. though he had seen the photographs of the torture of Andrew Wilson, which were horrific. I've seen the photos. Yes. They yes. are horrific, and I don't know how anybody could deny that he wasn't severely tortured but here's daly who's you know uh the 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 chief prosecutor um and he's the one who's in charge ultimately of the prosecution of these two black cop killers and if in fact he does the right thing and investigates and prosecutes his his guy who took these confessions burge right uh then what happens to his prosecution of 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 Wilson and right. this and it all falls apart. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so he elects the the road of 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 uh, prosecuting um, uh, Jackie and and Andrew and sending them uh, you know to death row or at least Andrew um, rather than to do do the right thing in terms of uh, the police torture that that's laid on his desk and. Um, that is the start of this, you know, this cover-up uh, that that the prosecutors from the top down are are implicated in. Because uh, if Burge had been, um, you know, prosecuted and fired back in '82 when it was first uh, clearly uh, known that he was uh, involved in this. Uh, then there would be another. There was another fifty, seventy-five cases that arose during Daly's um, subsequent um, uh, leadership in the state's attorney's office that may well not have happened. Right, and fact, think about how that would have affected yeah. those fifty men. Yeah, per se. John Conroy, the journalist who wrote a lot for the Chicago Reader, was one of the people that that uh, brought this out into the public. Can you talk about? how important his work was? Extremely important. John um, was covering uh, the, the trials that we did in 1989. And, and the, the trials um, were the trials that Andrew Wilson initiated with that uh, pro se complaint that mm-hmm. we took over. Right. And w- we went to trial, and John sat in the courtroom every day. We, we did an eight-week trial, and during that, Eight-week trial was when the deep badge first gave us the information. Mm-hmm. The letters and, that you yes. received. And so John then was, was, was a witness to all that was going on and the judge keeping us from putting this evidence in before the jury. Uh, and, and what happened was after eight weeks of trial, uh, the jury couldn't decide. It was a racially mixed jury, and the, and the black folks on the jury said, well, this, this is outrageous I don't care who he is, uh, we, we want to find for Andrew. And the, the white folks on the jury were, you know, 
solidly in the camp of of Burge, you know, a decorated Vietnam veteran. Or right. He was a commander of police at the time we were doing the trial. So, so the jury's uh, like a microcosm of Chicago, such a <laughs> yeah, divided uh, city. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, so, so we went back to a second trial, and John sat through that one as well. And so during this, this, this um, second eight-week trial, and he's compiling this evidence, he's 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 hearing about from us and 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 our attempts to try to get um, this developing evidence of of a pattern. Um, he, he's learning of all these other men who were tortured. He's mm. learning about this incredible story right. of this these two trials, and so he at the beginning of 1990 um, uh, writes this remarkable 20,000 word piece in a Chicago reader, uh, which was titled House of Screams. Right. Uh, because it. it was a 90, the, the area two where most of this torture took place was at um, across from a fire station. And um, I think um, someone told him uh, from that fire station or from, you know, living nearby that they could hear the screams mm. coming from wow. uh, area two. Um, so that they, they titled it uh, House of Screams. But he then laid out he, he, the two trials. He laid out um, the other people that he now was learning about. Uh, he laid, you know, who were tortured. He laid out uh, the um, deep badge and what, you know, all of that. Uh, and it was a remarkable uh, investigative piece. Uh, it was um, journalism at its absolute finest, and uh, John thought um, that it would lead to a real, real, uh, not only an expose, but that it would lead to some real investigation. It would lead to some that, that the, the media would pick up on it, uh, and that it would uh, that this was you know how outrageous and systemic and racist all of it was, but it went nowhere in the sense that uh, none of the major uh, straight media picked up on it, um, and um, he then continued for the next ten or fifteen years to write uh, other important pieces uh, in the reader. Um, he had the same persistence pill that you must have taken. <laughs> he, he did, <laughs> until they uh, told him they no longer needed him at the Reader oh, in 2007. Yeah. Which but was, I mean, it was a landmark work and, and did, in a way, lead to many things that came afterwards, not directly, but you know, you have to say he was part of the path. I mean, one of the things that came out of this case has been reparations, which has been amazing and has really, uh, I think, uh, had an effect across the country. Can you talk about the reparations? Yes, and at first I want to totally um, um, agree with you about John's impact. Mm -hmm. I mean, John had a, had a major impact, and, and as you say, his persistence and his his uh, investigative skills and his writing skills and his you know commitment to the truth is in terms of uh, just a shining example to, to to media folks across the generations and you know, yeah it's really the best of media why we need journalism in these times and why we needed it back then and we still need it now definitely definitely but t tell me a bit a little bit about the reparations well, uh, that came about 
Well, reparations um, was first suggested um, by um, Mary Powers and, and Citizens Alert back in uh, the early 1990s, uh, but it was there was so much else that was uh, being pursued at that time um, in terms of getting people out of jail and in terms of uh, uh, civil suits, in terms of of uh, death row and and people who were tortured and put on death row, that it was it, it never was really seriously um, part of the, um, the the what was being you know uh, um, uh, not seriously discussed at the time. Yeah, right. it was it was suggested, but yeah. but it, it was it was in the air. But a yes. lot of people uh, discounted it and said it was going to be direct payments to people and they were well it didn't there. even get to that point yeah. at that point bob i mean it was just it, i just want to give credit to, to mary and them uh for for actually suggesting it mm -hmm. but it never became even a a demand really mm -hmm. beyond um being mentioned uh, but but what happened was uh we we fast forward for about 15 years and uh, stan willis and uh, black people against police torture uh took up uh, the the um, the the, the uh, torture scandal uh, in the black community, uh, and they held town meetings and they they formulated a series of demands, uh, and one of their demands was uh, reparations, uh, and reparations um, in the sense of of not only uh, money uh, reparations for those men uh, who who had no lawsuits because of the statute of limitations, but, right. but uh, other uh, non-financial um, uh, uh, reparations. One is that it has to be taught in the high schools in right. Chicago, which right. is amazing. That that came later. Okay, there's this this phases here, and right. the, and that phase, uh, Stan and, and and the folks in the town halls, uh, Larry Kennan, and, and, and they, they they helped to draft um, a a statute which Kwame Raoul helped to, uh, to and and Representative Turner helped to get through the Illinois legislature, which was. Um, a uh, the torture commission it cr created a torture commission right that's um, right and that was a great accomplishment uh it, it, it ultimately um and then that kind of that was like in 2008 2009 um and then the uh, the, the the reparations that were passed in 2015 uh started to to, to become uh uh, a real issue when when um, an organization uh, started uh, that that was actually of of artists uh, and and they were looking at at at, at ways of um, dealing with the police torture scandal and um, they um, uh, came up with uh, the the the. the um, demands that ultimately were adopted by the city council in 2015 and that is what uh, included uh, teaching it in the public schools teaching the torture scandal in public schools a public memorial um a hundred thousand dollars to each of the surviving uh torture survivors who who hadn't received compensation through the courts um a center on the south side of chicago 
uh, where torture survivors and their families and others could be uh, receive treatment and, and gather. Which we're still waiting for that. No, no. That, oh, that's is that been, running? That's been running for two or three years. Oh, has it? Okay. What we're waiting for is the memorial. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. And the, 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 the teaching in the schools is, is, is happening uh, and has for, for several years. And um, many torture survivors um, go and speak to the classes. There's a cur- curriculum. Uh, I, from time to time, speak as well. Uh, but that struggle, um, the, the, which which the group that that, that formed was Chicago Police Torture Memorials, uh, in in I think it was 2012 or 2013, and then it became a much broader. Uh, struggle uh, with with it was very intergenerational and very uh, interracial uh, uh, um, in its component, and uh, it was able to coalesce at a time when Rahm Emanuel was running for re-election and he was under fire from the African American community for shutting down schools and shutting down health clinics and 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 and, and mental health clinics and all of that, and so um, that um, a, a lot of very creative demonstrations uh, were led um, by these groups um, in in 2014, uh, and it led to Rom and City Council adopting. The reparations package that uh, the groups, um, Chicago Police uh, Torture Memorials and, and others formulated. Uh, and yes, it was completely uh, a remarkable accomplishment. And it, another uh, part of the reparations was the apology uh, by uh, Rahm Emanuel uh, 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 to the men. Right. Uh, at a city council meeting. Right, I've seen that. It's, yeah. uh, it's amazing, especially given <laughs> who Rahm Emanuel is, but it's very interesting to yeah. watch. Yeah, it was quite quite detailed, uh, yeah. and, and I suppose to the degree that, that, that Rahm Emanuel could ever be accused of doing anything heartfelt. <laughs> it seemed like he almost meant it. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the men, I mean, obviously that was important. Yeah. Um, and it was at a city council meeting at, at which time all, all 50 city councilmen, we were up in the back with, with about 15 of the survivors, and mm-hmm. city council turned around and faced oh. them and clapped. Huh, interesting. Which, you know, some of the same city council people who uh, who had derided us over yeah, the years. Yeah, and on the other side. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so, that's amazing. But, the, yeah, the reparations is a real uh, example uh, and, and has been in some form or another uh, adopted um, in, in cases um, around the country where police violence and police brutality in, in New Orleans and in Little Rock um, and uh, in Greensboro, uh, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, most recently, there was a very late apology for the police role in the massacre of, of five uh, anti-Klan demonstrators. Another in case that People's Law Office was involved yeah, in. Yeah. yeah, I was involved in that case. And I wanted to ask you, uh, before we finish, what became of John Burge? He never did uh, get convicted of the torture, but tell us the story of John Burge. What happened to him? Well, as I mentioned, he started out as a 
a MP, uh, sergeant um, in in Vietnam, and that's where in, in, in where he learned these tactics. And he brought him back to Chicago, uh, and became a detective in 1972, and started to torture African American uh, suspects in serious cases. So it goes back to 72. It really. does. It okay. Does. And this is this is what we uh, were able to uncover over the years. Um, and he went on, and he was promoted to sergeant, and then he was promoted to lieutenant in charge of the uh, the, the uh, violent, um, you know, the uh, crimes of violence uh, unit at, at, at Area 2 on the south side in early 80s. Uh, and that's when the Andrew Wilson case happened. Right. And he continued with, with a crew of ass kickers as they kind of call as they called themselves right Burgess ass kickers or the uh, midnight crew is some yeah midnight sometimes. crew because because uh, also they work the midnight shift where they were you know they could do more and in, in front of less people right um and that went on throughout the 80s and burge uh because of all of uh, his success quote unquote in getting confessions uh was was promoted again uh to commander and moved over to the uh, to the west side at Area Three, and mm-hmm. that continued until, well, our trial. When we went on trial, Burge was the defendant in a 1989, and uh, as I said, we we were fighting a case where we had two, well, actually one uh, uh, black um, uneducated cop killer versus a decora- decorated commander of police from Vietnam. Right, <laughs> um, with an incredibly yeah. biased judicial system and yeah. administrative system and everything against you. But, but um, that, because of Deep Badge and Conroy and all we uncovered, the police took a second look at Burge mm-hmm. in 1990 because of all this evidence that was coming out. And right. in 1991, they came. They decided uh, that he should be fired uh, for his torture of Andrew Wilson. Right. Um, they also uh, came up with a report that said it was a systemic problem of torture under Burge. And uh, the, the chief of police at that time and the superintendent suppressed that report because mm. they didn't really want that to be part of the narrative. I see. But, but Burge went to a, a hearing before the police board in 1992. Mm-hmm. And in 1993, he was fired. Uh, however... He uh, was allowed to keep his police pension, and he moved to Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for the so next at that point, yeah. paid no price for yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, we continued uh, fighting these cases, and the community and and uh, and various organizations started to take up various aspects of this struggle, both nationally, locally, and internationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, People were released from death row, um, and um, uh, civil suits were brought, and and people, you know, we were able to develop even more evidence of this systemic torture. Um, And then we get to uh, the early 2000s, and um, we take the case uh, to to the United Nations, and uh, the United Nations issues a report that, that, that condemns 
um, the police torture here in Chicago. But um, nothing's really happening here. And officially, the, 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 of course, the prosecutors, uh, who was Richard Devine at that point, and then Anita Alvarez, they're, they're not going to prosecute Burge. Right. Uh, there's a special prosecutor that's appointed, and he determines that he can't prosecute Burge. He, he, he's an old-time former state's attorney and judge. And you're uh, running out of time at this point because yeah. of the statute of well, limitations. Statu- yeah, yeah. We had created some theories where Burge could, could be prosecuted. Um, but the, the, the statute of limitations for the actual torture had run out. But uh, we finally got the, um, the U.S. attorney uh, here in Chicago interested in Burge in a serious way. And that they investigated on the on the proposition that he had lied under oath in some of these civil cases that had been brought uh, against Burge, and that statute had not run on those, uh, on that perjury and obstruction of justice, because he had done that in the early 2000s. Oh, more recently, right. So, um, ironically, I suppose you could say, um, Burge was indicted uh, in 2008 not for the torture because the statute had run and they had, the cover-up had successfully worked for all those years right. uh, when he could have been uh, indicted for, you know, attempted murder or torture or, or you know, aggravated battery, what, what have you. Um, he was indicted and a predominantly white jury, uh, after hearing evidence uh, from Andrew Wilson uh, via uh, transcript because Andrew had died uh, in prison. Right. Uh, Anthony Holmes, uh, who was one of the original electric shock victims, uh, and several other uh, Burge torture survivors all testified uh, that they'd been tortured. And then one former Burge detective uh, was given immunity and he kind of said that he'd watch Burge put a plastic bag over uh, uh, a victim, uh, Shadid Mumin's head. So for the first time, an actual eyewitness of torture. Well, right, a a, a cop. A cop. But of course, uh, the pressure was so great on him after he said this at the grand jury that he came in at the trial Mm. and tried to back off of it. But but the U.S. attorney was able to use his prior testimony. So anyway, the jury... Uh, um, um, I think it, I can't remember if it was 11 whites or, or 10 whites, um, but um, they went out, and, and this is a, a remarkable piece, but uh, uh, kind of shows you the depth of, of Burgess racism. Um, there was a state's attorney, former state's attorney, who was attending the trial, and um, he uh, later became uh, a uh, defense lawyer, or, or, or he, he left the state's attorney's office, mm-hmm. but he sort of, well, Burge considered him a friend. And while the jury was out, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but down by the federal building, if you go across the street to the south, there's an outdoor bar. Yeah. And, and, and I think it was called Sullivan's. And, and, and Burge was sitting there while the jury was out, and this fellow, uh, he confided this to me um, at, a, at, at a function where I think he might have had one too many drinks. <laughs> a little he, loose. <laughs> yeah. 
And he told me that he walked by and Burge, you know, said, hey, come over here, you know. And, and he says, Burge said to me, do you think uh, that jury will believe that bunch of N-words? Oh. Um, and um, he, they, they did believe those African-American um, uh, victims of Burge, uh, and they, they convicted him. Uh, of a perjury and obstruction of justice, and he went. He got a four and a half year sentence. Mm. There's a very uh, courageous judge, federal judge named Joan Lefko, who happened to be a a classmate of mine at Northwestern Law School many many years ago. Right, and she she ran a very fair trial. Wasn't intimidated by um, by Burge or, or or any of the police lawyers that represented him. Uh, and she she sentenced him to four and a half years, which was um, you know she was kind of restricted in terms of the fact he, he couldn't be prosecuted or convicted of torture. Right. So she had a limited uh, yeah, scope of, scope, of yeah. sentencing. Got it. Um, but uh, you know um, he went to Butner uh, and um, he went to where Butner Federal Penitentiary. Oh, okay. And I actually had the occasion to go and see him in prison garb and take his deposition down there in, in Butner. Right. And so I felt like I, I, w- could, I was a witness to the fact that, yeah, Burge had gone full cycle here and gone from, you know, decorated Vietnam commander to uh, a prisoner. Right. A uh, prisoner like uh, so many of the men that he put in prison. Right, although much uh, easier yes. circumstances, I'm yes. sure. <laughs> But he, he, he got out, and he, he remarkably uh, convinced uh, four members of the Illinois Supreme Court that he could keep his pension while he was in prison. Oh, and, you're kidding. So he yeah, kept his pension kept his while pension. in prison. Yeah. Amazing. And, and got out, um, and he was suffering from, um, um, I think, I don't know, some form of cancer, and he was quite sick by the time he got out of mm. prison. Uh, and in, um, but he was, um, uh, to his dying day, he never, uh, was at all remorseful, never admitted anything, uh, was, was, uh, would take the fifth amendment when he was questioned under oath, but would, spoke to the media and condemned, uh, the reparations and, and condemned me and condemned the, 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 the torture survivors, called them scum and all of that. Uh, and uh, he died um, a couple of years ago. And um, but when he died, the Tribune and the Sun Times, um, they, 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 the narrative, which again I feel that that we had a, a, a significant role in helping to to establish, uh, that was told in the in the Tribune and in the, in the um, Sun Times was that this was a notorious serial racist um, torturer, uh, and that uh, and also Daly's name was mentioned as mm-hmm. someone uh, who was involved in in, in the cover up and yeah, who uh, accommodated this yes torture. Yes. So um, so things. If I mean, what you're saying is that these media enterprises that had been denying it or not covering it at all or ignoring it, had finally come out and told the, the truth. Well, it was a process. And, you yeah. know, I, it, it, people like Carol Marine, we would always be able, when we had something 
uh, important uh, in this torture scandal. We knew that people like Carol, of course, John Conroy. Right. Uh, but Carol was in the, you know, in in the, in the straight media, so to speak. Yeah. And she she'd lead the news with 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 something about Daly or something about uh, Burge when when we would get new information. So, yeah, she was an exceptional yeah, journalist. She for was, sure. and there were others um, mm-hmm. um, along the way. Who uh, Phil Walters was another one mm-hmm. who was very good early on in terms of of this and. Uh, I could name others, Charles Thomas, but um, yeah, it was a it was a long, hard battle uh, to to bring out that evidence and to to, to change that narrative, uh, and you know, and and that's why um, the 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 teaching of the scandal in in the schools is so important yeah. because that that continues to to. Uh, um, you know, put forward the 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 true story of of, of the torture scandal, because, and and we know that if you don't continue to fight for the truth and 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 teaching that that history, that 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 the powers that be will 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 go right back to the original narrative. That's right. Those who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it over <laughs> and over go. again. Unfortunately, <laughs> I wanted to ask you one last thing to wrap this up. Uh, just these amazing cases that you worked on many times for, you know, like in the Hampton case, 13 years or 30 years on the this uh, Burge case. Uh, I just was, was wondering what kept you going, what keeps you going during all these years of, you know, it's very difficult uh, work uh, to keep going. I uh, just was curious. Well... I think it's a combination of things. You're you're inspired um, by the, many of your clients, whether it be Fred Hampton or um, Daryl Cannon or, or other torture survivors, um, so many others along the way uh, that that I've represented that have shown such strength uh, and courage to fight and continue to fight. Uh, that gives you a, a ter- tremendous amount of strength as well. I, I think about the the widows of the of the folks that were murdered uh, by the Klan in, in, in Greensboro. Yeah. Uh, and, and or they, like Deborah Johnson, the widow of, or the... Yeah, the, yeah. And, uh, and Fred Hampton. Right, and, and Iberia Hampton, uh, who stood with us mm-hmm. through that entire 18-month trial and mm-hmm. became like uh, Jeff Hausen, my second, second mother. <laughs> um, she was just an incredibly strong person. Yes, ma- many, many folks like that. Um, also, um, the, the people I work with, uh, you know, always been great people to work with and strong people, uh, who, um, were uncompromising and continue to be uncompromising in in their work. Um, as well as my family, uh, Mm -hmm. having a very strong family, uh, both, um, my parents, my brother, my sister, my wife, who's a, a longtime um, public interest lawyer, my daughter, who's now a, a public interest uh, defense lawyer. Uh, she um, got the she got the gene. <laughs> <laughs> she got well from both sides. Both of you, right? Yeah, I think for You're sure. Destined. Yeah, you know, and um, and I'd be lying if I if I said that if we never won anything. That it would, you know, it would be it, it, the, 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 the accomplishments both in and out of court. I mean, I think that, that as a, an American history major, as someone who aspires to writing, uh, as someone who, who really uh, 
takes an interest in in what you might call, for lack of a better word, people's history, mm-hmm. you know, the Howard Zinn kind of, like kind of Zen, yeah, yeah, approach say. to history. Right. That the fact that um, I'm able to not only from time to time uh, be involved in, 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 in accomplishments, uh, whether, you know, and in, in, in changing the narrative of, of these important cases, but to actually write about it and to... to uh, talk to people about it, to, to, to speak about it, to um, teach to some degree about it, um, particularly to the younger lawyers and mm-hmm. the younger generation, um, because I think it's so important what young folks are doing now. I mean, it's crucial to the continued existence of this planet. That's and, right. Um, and uh, I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for them, and, and hopefully they, they can learn a few things from their elders uh, about, you know, what we all uh, went through and, and what, we, what we know and, and, and what um, our history teaches them today. That's great. Well, Flint Taylor, it has been a real honor to talk to you and hear your story. Uh, I want to remind people that Flint's book is called The Torture Machine, Racism and Police Violence in Chicago. It came out, what, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. It's a great book, and um, you know, it's just uh, a very important read for, for so many of us. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, and uh, keep up the great work. Oh, thank you, Bob. And I would mention that the, the book is um, Haymarket. It's it, it, it's put out by a great uh, publisher, Haymarket. Right, Books. Haymarket, the publisher. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. And also the story of Haymarket, which happened here in Chicago. <laughs> yes, that's another podcast. That's another podcast. <laughs> We've got many of them. All right, Flint, thank you so much. Okay. We'll You're talk welcome. to you soon. Thank you for tuning into the show. If you'd like to learn more about what was discussed in both episodes with Flint Taylor, you can find his book, The Torture Machine, Racism and Police Violence in Chicago, at haymarketbooks.com, or just Google The Torture Machine. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review so more people can hear about us and share about Rhythm of Life on social media, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. I'm Steve Ordauer. This has been a Rhythm and Light production.